Hello and welcome to Box Not Included, the show looking at geek culture and the media we love and loathe from a queer perspective. I'm Hamish, 2,500 tonnes of awesome steel. And I'm Jade, fortune favours the brave dude, Rose. And today we are being a little indulgent and talking about one of our favourite films and its recently released sequel. Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, yep, we're talking about Pacific Rim and Pacific Rim Uprising. Uh, our first half of the show is going to be talking about uh, Pacific Rim, sort of our experience with the movie, how it came to be such a pivotal part in sort of our relationship as well, and why we hold it in such fondness. And in the second half, we're going to focus on uh, Pacific Rim Uprising. There will be, it will not be a spoiler free zone, guys. Like after the tea break, we are going to be going full hard talking about the new movie yeah so, i think the things we want to talk about specifically are big so major plot, plot yeah, points that, yeah um, we can't not talk about it and be spoiler free um so because of that i we got one question i thought we'd um stick it at the start so oh, cool. um just to get things going we got one question uh on our facebook group because i did ask for questions about half an hour ago uh Mm -hmm. from nick on our facebook group um if you and your significant other had a jaeger what would it be called man okay um for those who maybe don't know uh in pacific rim uh, there are these giant robots uh, called Jaegers and they require two people to pilot due to their size. The neural strain of trying to pilot one by yourself will break your brain. Um, so for reasons that we'll get into as we discuss part of why Pacific Rim and its lore is so interesting, I don't think I'm drift compatible with my partner. Mm-hmm. So I don't think we would be able to pilot a Jaeger together. Mm. Um so trying to th- come up with a name for what it would be is sort of co- feels, no offence to Nick who asked the question, kind of redundant because I'm just like, that fucker's going to take one step forward and faceplant <laughs> at best. But um, uh, my, one of my very close friends, Ray, who I consider my co-pilot, I met him around the time Pacific Rim came out and it's sort of very f- pivotal part of that relationship. Also, I consider him my co-pilot. Mine and his, uh, Jaeger, is called Yorick Foxfire because we're both super into foxes and like mythology because uh, foxfire is a sailory thing for stuff you might see at sea for lights that are unexplained and Yorick because we both love Hamlet. So. <laughs> That's nice. Uh, similarly, I, I think I'm a, maybe a bit more drift compatible, but I'm not sure fully with uh, my significant other, I suppose. Um, I find the thrill of our relationship is how weird I find him. So. <laughs> uh i'm not sure what it would be probably um girls girls because we like golden girls and gilmore girls uh or girls 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 something uh girls 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 (laughs) or something dr who i don't know um but my my co-pilot and we'll talk about talk about these phrases in a second um Mm. i guess is my friend lydia um and we joked that our Jaeger is called Sniff Chicken because, <laughs> hey, <laughs> um, very uh, significant day in our life was walking around a supermarket carrying a roast chicken from the rotisserie and just smelling it. <laughs> and then we put it back. Mm-hmm. And um, that was all done through nonverbal communication. Um, and I think that's why we're drift compatible. So I put that at the start just to give context to the fact that Pacific Rim to us, 
and I'll talk, mm. well, I was going to try and explain what the film is, if people don't know, is so much more than a robots punching monsters film. Yeah. Um, and... Which, to be fair, I'm not going to hold against people for thinking that because the trailers were kind of misleading. It did look like, okay, giant robots are going to punch giant lizards. Is this part of the Transformers franchise? <laughs> this looks silly and ridiculous. I get why people might have had that impression. Yeah, and I can also get why people might have that impression just from watching it uh, once yeah. because on a surface level, that's very much what it is. But... um it has this great lore and lots of original ideas. And I uh, am a huge super fan of the robots and monster genre. Um, And very few of them are just that. They often have a deeper level. And one of the reasons I like this is that deeper level often gets lost in the translation when uh, the West tries to recreate that. Um, Yeah. And so it wasn't just a parody. It wasn't a uh, simple homage. It was adding to the genre and coming up with its own ideas. And that's what really made me love it. Um, mm. uh, for me, what, why, or why Pacific Rim means so much to me is for all that it is like this this very gorgeous action movie at its heart it's about people um these robots need two people in order to work the day the 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 world is saved thanks to to a connection that exists between two people and then making a connection with a third this film is so very human its heart it's about people coming together and what that unity allows us to do as people. It's a very hopeful film. Mm. Uh, it's about the amazing things that humanity can achieve and about the relationships in our lives, be they romantic, platonic, familial, that allow us to overcome overwhelming odds. Yeah, I agree. And see, I'm, I'm tearing up already, guys. <laughs> this is this is how the episode is going to go. Um, so, a brief explanation of what Pacific Rim is, I suppose. Yes. Um, it's directed by Guillermo del Toro. It's whoop, whoop. a original property, as much as it obviously wears all its influences on its sleeve. Um, but it's, you know, a brand new franchise to cinema, which is increasingly rare these days. Mm-hmm. Um and it's set in the near future. Um, 2025. Uh, but begin, it begins the film of explaining the split timeline in a way of when this film really begins. Um, a portal to another world, dimension, what have you, opens up under the sea and giant monsters come out and destroy the world. Uh, humanity um, <laughs> responds by creating Jaegers, giant uh, mecha warriors, um, to fight them. And uh, as we said, they have to be piloted by two or more people um, mm-hmm. through a neural link, which is referred to as the drift, um, and is used throughout the film for a variety of different metaphors. It's It can be a link that's romantic or platonic or familial um, or uh, people in this 
academy who get trained uh, try and train that link as well. Um, the film features people from all different countries coming together. They work in a shatter dome, is what it's called. Every- One of the best named things to have ever existed still. Every character is named like they're a tank. <laughs> this character's called uh, Stacker Pentecost. Um, Raleigh Beckett, Hercules Hansen. Um, yes, it's, it's very... Uh, ultra i don't know what the word is it's type of realism where hyper realism yeah it 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 exists so it it's just so much yeah it exists in the real world um but it's also i think i think its tone is interesting because it's not a full parody it really it's so genuine yeah it's so genuine everyone Um, is really believing in the concept of robots fighting monsters yeah and they do a little bit of hand-waving as to why this is the best technique available. Mm. But to be fair, I think most of us are there like, look, we bought in. You don't need to really justify your giant robot fighting giant monsters. Yeah, uh, I mean, any law. review that comes away saying, like, I don't understand why people have to pilot robots to fight monsters. That yeah. seems really yeah. silly. You've missed the point. Yeah, it's it's the genre. It's the... It's- yeah the same reason why westerns are the way they are or you know horror films are the way they are it's just yeah but um Um, as a circle back to finishing describing the plot uh quickly um by the time we uh because we there's this great opening narration like there's some stellar world building where you see like as i said the film is set in 2025 but the first of these attacks was in 2013 and we see sort of the heyday of the uh what they call the pan pacific defense corps uh, and the Jaeger program. And by the time we are with these characters, we they are at the end. They are being shut down because of this giant wall program instead. And it's about a last stand mm. that's being made. It is like the last dregs of this program. And uh, we are we are met. We sort of take along to meet our, uh, I would argue, decoy protagonist, <laughs> uh, handsome white boy. Uh, Raleigh Beckett, who was a member of the Jaeger program during its heyday until um, his brother was killed. And he is brought back into the fold uh, for like one last charge, one last ride uh, to uh, to save the world. Yeah. And spoilers, they save the world. <laughs> yeah. As I said, it's one of the most uh, hopeful and optimistic apocalypse films. Um mm-hmm. Which is also shocking because a lot of people die in this film. A lot. Um, But every single frame is filled with so much story. There's so much visual storytelling going on. Every, like every character, right down to their costume or their tattoos or their hair, um, Mm. is telling a story. And we get some really nice glimpses of how the real world is dealing with uh, these monster attacks, whereas some people live in fear, some people are profiting off it, some people mm-hmm. worship the monsters. Um, it does a really, really great job of creating a world that we care about saving. Um, yeah. And I think that's one of the reasons why five years later we still talk about it, because um, when we... F- when I first saw it, it did remind me of something like Star Wars, where, okay, it's a pretty simple hero's journey, 
but I want to know about that guy in the background or like, did you hear when they mentioned that thing? That sounds amazing. I want to know more about that. Um, mm. It felt like we'd suddenly were in this world that I wanted to run around in. And like, I want to know about people who aren't involved in the robot fighting thing. Like, uh, sunny, tiny details, people re- mentioning like restaurants and people mentioning like family and partners and stuff. Um, mm-hmm. It's just really good. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I had a short-lived, I think we did like four episodes of a Pacific Rim podcast because Mm -hmm. there was so much material to talk about. Yeah. And like I could have kept, it was more of an organizational side of things things that meant that podcast sort of stopped. But like I could have kept talking about it. Like, and this is why we do still talk about it. But um. Hamish, you said that you uh, came to the film sort of from a love, a love being a lover of kaiju movies. Yeah, so um, our origin story, I guess, of why we how we saw this <laughs> film. Um, <laughs> yeah, I'm a full time since I can remember kaiju super fan. Um, I can't remember what my first kaiju film is, but I do know that my brothers are already into it before I got into it. Um, when the 1998 uh, Godzilla American remake came out, a bunch of the old Godzilla films came out on video um, and we collected them and I watched them all. And I also bought a Godzilla encyclopedia from America when we went on a holiday. And um, basically those those videos and that book uh, I was obsessed with. I've still got the encyclopedia in my um, studio and it's the most like battered book I own. It's got like stains all over it, but it's just because I took it everywhere with me. That's um, wonderful. And uh, yeah, at school I did a presentation about kaiju where I brought in lots of toys and um, explained everything about them. Uh, I liked them on both a surface level. Like I really loved uh, the silly Godzilla films where they just throw in all the monsters and there's they fight aliens and it's all very silly. Um, but I was also fascinated by the origins and how um, Japan, the only country in the world that's faced an atomic bombing, are uh, so obsessed with media about cities being destroyed and uh, the original Godzilla coming as a metaphor for that. Um, and I just, I, I, I liked it on both a deeper level and a surface level. Um, and it's kind of stayed with me as a forever fandom. I don't get a chance to really talk about it on this podcast because uh, I just go off in a little spiral of love. Um, but hmm. uh, it stayed with me, and like I, it, it never. I the last Godzilla film for about ten years was in uh, two thousand and four, and after that was when I really started seeking out. Um, other sort of adjacent things in the genre like Ultraman and um, Super Sentai, which is what Power Rangers comes from. Um, and so, of course, I go and try, I try and go and see every kaiju film that comes out, even if it's like loosely adjacent. Like before we saw Pacific Rim Uprising, there was a trailer for a film called Rampage, which does not look very good, but I will be there. <laughs> um, I really like uh, Colossal came out last year. Um, like oh, I still need to see that. Yeah, it's a, it's a. I think the thing that I resent slightly is when 
people say, oh, it's a kaiju film, but it's about so much more, which I literally just did talking about Pacific Rim. But um, kaiju is kind of like a flavor, but it's not quite a genre. There's Godzilla films, right. which are like spy th- thrillers. There's uh, West, well, not, it's not really a Western one, but there's like space opera uh, Godzilla films and horror Godzilla films and Cold War like films and stuff like that. Um, so they come in lots of different varieties. So I was very excited to see someone like Guillermo del Toro, who I know is a huge kaiju fan as well, uh, seeing his perspective on it. Yeah. Um, so that's why I went to see it. <laughs> I didn't know what to expect. I, I, I think when I first saw it, I had a slight trying to work out the tone because I guess I had yeah. preconceptions. Mm-hmm. Um, and it is a slightly odd tone because you do have to buy into some silly stuff yes, to enjoy the serious stuff. But mm-hmm. um, I'm good at doing that. <laughs> <laughs> so why did you come um, and see the film? Well, I'm a big Guillermo del Toro fan. Like, I love the Hellboy movies. Um, I'm, I was big on Pan's Labyrinth and I'd started to sort of watch the earlier stuff around that time. Uh, I just really liked his visual style. And I remember seeing people talking about it. I think I'd seen the trailer. The trailer worked on me. Mm. Like, I saw the trailer and I was like, oh, I want to see that. But that summer was just, like, really difficult to get to the cinema. But people started talking about it on Tumblr. And I was just like, oh, okay, cool. No, I should I should get to, get to that. And then, so it was mostly, like, curiosity. I liked the director enough. The visuals in the, that I saw in the trailer thought, oh, that looks like a fun way to spend a couple of hours Mm. And so I went and saw it because I really like the colour palette. Like this film, again, gorgeous. Mm. It's beautiful to look at. And I went and saw it and my heart was stolen that day. <laughs> um, for people that, that know me, I'm very into found family uh, narratives and character-driven stories. And I I like things that are written large. It's really hard to misinterpret anything that's going on in Pacific Rim. And like for me as a, as an autistic person, it's nice sometimes that things aren't subtle, but it's also super genuine. Mm. Like, and that, that's really great. Um, And I won't lie. And these two characters will come up a lot in this episode as we go on forward. And I've mentioned them before in our shipping episode, the characters of Newton Herman, um, mm hit me in particularly Newt I I project a lot I will project more um as this as the you will find out just how much as as we continue to discuss but I remember being in the cinema with my partner who turned to me was just like you are literally the love child of those two characters and I'm (laughs) like no I know I know I know (laughs) so Mm. but it was the fact that I this was such a tropey movie, just like, oh, you think you know this movie. Just like, oh, it's a big action movie, except the two scientists are integral to saving the day and they aren't joke characters. They have comic relief. Don't get me wrong. They have some very funny moments in that film, but their contribution is as equal. Mm. The, uh, the arsehole character gets to be redeemed but not at the expense of somebody else has their own arc I I mentioned earlier our decoy protagonist and that was deftly done this isn't a story about Raleigh Beckett this is a story about Mako Mori a a woman of colour specifically an Asian woman which is we do not 
in here in the West, we do not see Asian women. So, we see them so little in movies. And we have this amazing, beautiful arc of this woman claiming her destiny in the kind of story we don't get to see women characters having, mm. let alone women of colour. And all the, um, the, the authority figure in this movie is a black man who is awesome and amazing and his authority is never called into question. Mm. Like, you think you know this movie. You do not know this movie. You go in, you go, oh, they did this and oh, they did that and oh, that's interesting and oh, my heart is breaking into a thousand pieces and oh, they saved the day. Mm. And that's amazing. And the two characters, Marco and Raleigh, who are, you could say a romantic vibe to their relationship, they are clearly captivated. Like, Raleigh particularly with Marco is captivated by her. He looks at her like she is the fucking son. Mm. With good reason. Many of us look at Marco Mori like she is the son. Um, after years of darkness. <laughs> um, but also, um, and this is a, a spoiler, but the film is also five years old. The film... Like, so many action movies might end with Raleigh and Mako kissing. They don't. They do the forehead bump. Mm. They do the forehead bump. And they hug. And that is the moment that we finish with them. That is the last shot we see of them. Is them together, but it's not romantic. And it's wonderful. The, sh the film is all about relationships and mm -hmm. and pairs and there's lots of nice imagery about that and mm -hmm. uh, there's there's not really a, a completely overt canonical romantic pairing as far no. as I can remember. Um, um, it's yeah, because even like the Kaidanovskis, who are uh, two Russian pilots who uh, pilot this amazing ship. Uh, Cherno Alpha, who looks a bit like a cooling tower. <laughs> we, I'm a big fan of Cherno Alpha. Um, it's but a lot, a lot of people weren't sure if they were meant to be siblings or husband and wife. I mean, I think it's confirmed that they are married, but they are referred to as the Russians within the text, mm. as it were. They are really the only couple we see on screen. Mm. It's just, and some people still read them as brother and sister. Is my point? Yeah, I just think that's what's interesting is that. Um, while all the characters have a kind of relationship arc, mm -hmm. um, like a father and son and... Uh, a, mother and a father and a daughter. Father and, yeah, they all have these pairings and it's just, it's so nice having a film that's so bombastic and silly in one respect be grounded in that way. Um, mm -hmm. And I think one of the reasons people loved The Scientists is they were given equal relationship arc Mm -hmm. um, despite the fact that they don't, they're not the action stars, no. um, and that they can save the day in their own way, in their geeky way. Yeah. Um, and while while the characters are both white and men, like I, I saw a recent uh, tweet from um, a reviewer and a journalist I admire, really admire, uh, who goes by the handle Hello Taylor, uh, talking about the only way that Pacific Rim could be better. I think there was one thing, and then if the scientists had been crotchety lesbians instead, <laughs> and I'm like. I want that movie. Um, but while the scientists are both white, um, Herman is canonically disabled. Uh, we don't know why, or I should say the, the cause of uh, his disability, but uh, requires a mobility aid. 
and Newt is heavily coded as and in the supplementary material confirmed as uh, bipolar and neuroatypical. Mm. So that's important. But it's like, so, those... many of the characters have got like PTSD and things like that. Yeah, it's, it's just those are details where you don't need people listing, you know, what, you know, their background, but it's just there and the mm. like the storytelling that's not dialogue. I don't know. It's, yes, yes, exactly. Um, it's really, really good. Um, why I wanted to talk briefly about the fandom because the film was super great. Um, we never really expected it to have a sequel. Um, I think for me, mostly because Del Toro didn't seem like a sequel kind of person, even though he does Hellboy 2. And, you know, I just think more like he was attached to so many projects and it didn't do the best business in the world. No, um, so I think that's important. Like it didn't receive great reviews. It's box office performance was average. I wouldn't say it wasn't mm. a flop, but it was certainly wasn't like this great juggernaut of a movie. Uh, it did well overseas. Um, yeah. So it, it, a sequel was not um, guaranteed. guaranteed. So, but the fandom just did not like, we just pressed on and I have, in my small mm. way, I have contributed to both a Pacific Rim art zine and a mm-hmm. Pacific Rim uh, tarot card deck. Um, mm-hmm. There's been Pacific Rim... Uh, oh, I mean, list of, obviously there's lots of fan fiction and fan art, but there's been so many uh, huge fundraise projects done by fans. Uh, mini conventions organised... Mm-hmm. Wasn't the first convention like a few months after the film came out and Del Toro attended? Um, I don't know if no, but sh- I think uh, <laughs> Rob Kaczynski was in the area and showed up and hung out with everybody who played uh, Chuck. Yeah, so, um, our, we've got several friends who kind of hold, have whole segments of their business devoted to the film, um, mm-hmm. and. I think that's a testament just to how much care was put into film where people obsess over a logo of something or a costume choice. Um, I think it's it's very t- indicative of a film to when you see the kind of fan response that it has. And I don't mean just like, oh, everyone's very excited about it and then you don't hear about it again. Mm. The creativity and the heart of the the things produced by the Pacific Rim fandom um is is staggering to me and i think that is a reflection of the kind of movie that it is yeah. that it inspires that in people and that's not even to begin talking about like the relationships i know that have come about um i know um a few romantic pairs that people that would not have met had it not been for this movie you and i met at, as as i think we've mentioned we've talked about it on the podcast before yeah, I'm, we we met <laughs> at a screening of Pacific Rim. That's what I'm leading to. I can't remember how long after the film had been out that it was six six months. Yeah, maybe it was. Um, oh no, it might have been. It was even the next. No, it was the next year, but early in the year. Yeah. So it was maybe the film had been out like nine months, mm-hmm. maybe because it came out in the summer, and I think the screening at the Prince Charles was in like April, May. So kind of time. we didn't know each other, um, yep. but both of us bought tickets for this Pacific Rim screening and both cosplayed as Newt. 
Mm-hmm. Um, I was a bit embarrassed because I was with a group of people who were not cosplaying at all. <laughs> Whereas I was with a bunch of people in like shirts and uh, cosplay because we would had a Shatterdome UK meetup, mm-hmm. um, which I believe was a Facebook group that um, our friend Andy had organised. Yeah, and I so. wasn't aware of. And uh, uh, luckily the outfit um, is quite nondescript if you you can't really go wrong with a shirt and tie a, a white shirt and a black tie with skinny jeans um but i had uh designed all of the the tattoos mm-hmm. um and uh we saw each other in the lobby as the same character and had a geek out um mm-hmm. and i was very shy and then i put on a jacket with a hufflepuff patch on and you said oh my god no we have to be friends now mm-hmm. um and it's like there's many reasons people become friends, but I just, mm-hmm. if that's a favorite film of yours, I know I can get on with you. I can yeah. get on with anyone really. Um, mm. Especially but, um, when I know someone like really cares about the characters. Cause I've yeah. seen, I have seen some people say that they don't like the characters, but this is a problem with kaiju films in general, which is some people, I hate to be gatekeepery, but I don't know how to say Like, so some kaiju fans do claim to love the genre, but I see constantly commenting on stuff being like, I don't care. Like, I don't care about the human stuff that just gets in the way of the monster stuff. And the worst Godzilla films are like that, where the monster action means nothing. It doesn't have any like character relevance. It doesn't have any point to it. Um, and kaiju films are really great when they manage to tie in the plots really neatly so that you're not aware when a monster scene is happening and when a human scene is happening. Um, yeah. I, I feel compelled to say, like, because we haven't mentioned it yet, like, I know you stated off from the top that you are a big kaiju fan. The kaiju in this movie are awesomely designed. Like, mm. they are beautiful like when they announced they were releasing like detailed figurines um of this i know a number of people who lost their shit Mm. like and when they released them it was a stunning thing like i have seen so much art and i have seen tattoos like memorializing these amazing creature designs and we all know how gilmo feels about monsters Mm -hmm. i mean it's 20 it's it's now 2018 we know exactly (laughs) how gilmo notoria feels about monsters um i I hope people that like shape of water can go back and watch this film with that lens because they look very similar Mm. um but yes you were saying definitely um i I, i've lost my track i just want to say the monsters are amazing and the robots are amazing and the people are amazing and i think pacific rim's strength is that the same loving lens is turned on all three of those. Mm. The, 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 and I know uh, this came up when we were having our mini debrief after seeing the film yesterday. Um, our friend Andy um, mentioned that her partner, Kit, who is uh, into, did uh, his qualification in AI, talked about why would you make a monster that, uh, um, a giant robot to fight monsters that shape? It's humanoid, it's top heavy, that's dangerous. And you were like, well, that's the genre. Mm. But two, it's so we can think of them as people. Mm. So, and that that's just, that's just cool. 
that's cool. And the music is baller. <laughs> yeah. I feel like um, I might talk to uh, our producer about getting some of the uh, Pacific Rim theme to lead us into ABRT break or finish the episode <laughs> with it rather than our usual theme music because I do love it so. Yeah, I, 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 it so. I'm a big kaiju boy, but I know people who, I think Andy uh, much prefers the Jaegers. I think that no, that's actually a really runny gag I have found with the Pacific Rim fandom is are you a, are you here for the Jaegers or are you here for the Kaiju? Mm. Because there is that split. There's a Kaiju. A, jo- a joking split. There's the what is it? It's K Science versus Jaeger Tech. Mm. There's a it's, uh... it's it, it's your Hogwarts house. It's just like <laughs> so are you J Tech or K Science? There's a Kaiju in the second one which is like a big blue crocodile thing with about 10 legs and when it you came out of the water uh Andy just kind of looked at me and like are you happy because <laughs> <laughs> I was just like oh look at that fat boy look at that boy he's um, a good boy so uh, I mentioned the break do you think maybe because we've got a lot to say about the sequel and we have talked about our love for Pacific Rim a lot mm-hmm. do you think we should have a break fortify ourselves and then talk about why we feel or what we feel about Pacific Rim Uprising and why we feel it. I think we should. Okay, let's uh, let's uh, put the kettle on. It's the middle section of the show. For the moment, there is no movement detected in the booth. <laughs> thank All you. Is quiet. Thank you for indulging us. Um, thank you. We've done a few, and well, I've enjoyed our last few episodes, Simpsons, Drag Race, and this. Um, it's good to have you back, Jade. Oh, it's good to be back. Uh, though I very much enjoyed hearing you and Matt uh, talk about talk about drag and drag race specifically. There, uh, it's probably fortuitous sickness on my part to not be there for that because I would have just pretty much been there going, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, and talked <laughs> maybe a little bit about performative gender mm. and panto dames. That would have been what I would have been able to bring to the table. Oh, that's cool. I, it was a, it was one of those big topics where I'm sure we'll come back to it. Um, sure. If you have any suggestions for topics you'd like us to uh, discuss, please do send them in. Um, we'll mm-hmm. give all of the contact details at the end. Um, obviously, thank you for listening. Um, yes. It's very exciting to be past episode 50 and still super keen. Um, we know we need to record some more Future Armor podcasts. Don't at us. <laughs> Don't at me. Um, another podcast I wanted to mention briefly is my brother's podcast. Hey. Um, I am the sweet baby brother of two <laughs> other um, people. Uh, my brother Harry is a comedian and uh, my brother Rory is a DJ and they uh, have just started a podcast called Games on Film where they discuss video game movies. Um, because this year is actually a bit of a bumper crop of them. We got uh, Lara Croft's uh, Tomb Raider just came out. Mm-hmm. Um, Rampage is based on an arcade game from about 15 years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, they're also going to be talking about Ready Player One, uh, Wreck-It Ralph 2, um, and there's, I think, Uncharted movies and all sorts on the horizon. But they'll also be looking back at some of the, in quotation mark, greats, um, <laughs> including Street Fighter, Mario Brothers, uh, Mortal Kombat, all your faves. Um, awesome. I think they're also going to be talking about uh, the first Pokemon movie soon, which I um, 
I'm intrigued about. So if you like the sound of that, if you like the sound of people like me, but a little bit different, um, <laughs> then check out Games on Film. Okay. Oh, yeah, I think I'll do that. But uh, I think it's time for us to uh, to head back in. Oh, God. Back into Steady yourself. <laughs> back don't, into don't, the breach. Don't, don't chase the rabbit. Let's uh, go. Yeah. <laughs> so... Spoiler, major spoiler warning. I think now, yeah. like, where, don't. Right, where, where's that fog? Where's that air <laughs> horn? Where's that channel alpha air horn? Just like, Bwah! yeah, we are not going to be. I think the we discussed this. The type of discussion we're going to have, I think, necessitates that we go full spoilers. I do know the film literally just came out, so I understand if you don't want to listen to this, but. Come back if you've seen it, or just press on if you do not care. <laughs> um, let's let, 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 let's let, let's let's. It was a really interesting moment. Uh, we we purposely went and saw this with Andy, uh, who we've mentioned a couple of times, who's like part uh, whose friendship we have because of this movie. And Gabe, founder, owner, operator of Beastie Beverages, who I met because I was dressed as new at a con, and he ran out from behind his booth and was like. <laughs> so um like the the Pacific Room unites the four of us. Yeah. So we knew we wanted to see this film as a group. And we were definitely those assholes at the back row mm. commenting on everything. Though there was only one person in the row in front of us and they seemed pretty chill and didn't look round disgruntled at us at any point. So yeah. I think we're okay. Um but I th- Afterwards, it was sort of like, okay, so what did you think of the film, despite the fact we'd kind of done a running commentary the whole time? <laughs> uh, so I want to give a slight backstory to the sequel. Um, mm-hmm. Please do. As we said, we didn't know it would ever happen. Um, then out of the blue, about two years ago, uh, Guillermo del Toro did a video where he announced um, a sequel would be happening that he was going to direct. Um a animated series and like a comic book series and all that stuff. Um, and uh, one of Guillermo del Toro's faults, I will say, is he says yes to a lot of projects he doesn't end up working on. And I don't know why. I think um, he gets offered a lot of things and I I don't hold it against him. But even when he did that video, I was like, hmm, we'll see. Um, suffice mm-hmm. to say... Uh, he ended up being selfish and uh, filming a fish fucking movie that got him an Oscar. <laughs> uh, and uh, uh, which also had like Crimson Peak and stuff yeah. like in the meanwhile and like which is interesting because he did sorts. Pacific Rim after not doing The Hobbit. Um, mm-hmm. So he has this uh, a track record of making films we love and leaving another but- franchise to the dogs yeah. uh but um it got directed by uh stephen k knight who um denight denight i should know this i'm sorry um who is a bit of a cool chap on social media and i followed when he was announced and um i don't uh i don't know he's quite interesting he's very very transparent with everything and talks to everyone all the time Um, But he's best known as the director of uh, some TV shows like um, Spartacus and Daredevil, Mm -hmm. um, etc. 
Um, and so the movie came out. <laughs> I don't know what else to say. Uh, John Boyega helped to make it happen by... He was pivotal. He uh, His production company uh, was involved heavily. Um, yeah, and so I think throughout this whole thing, we all n- knew that maybe this wasn't the sequel of our dreams, but we also never dreamed we would get a sequel. So it's kind of a... Mm delicate mood (laughs) yeah uh, like as it went on it was announced like certain characters would be returning because not that many people survived the first one (laughs) to be fair Uh, but yeah and then we heard like uh, the this new film was going to be focused on Jake Pentecost son of Stacker Um, and the description on IMDB states uh, reunites with Mako Mori to lead a new generation of Jaeger pilots including rival Lambert and 15 year old hacker Amara against a new kaiju threat having seen the movie I have issues with a number of things in that description (laughs) Mm -hmm. but that's neither here nor there Um, I guess that's sort of the plot if we were to elaborate on that is there anything else you'd say about the plot um, I'd say that uh, it's 10 years on after the events of the first movie. All sort of has seems to have been quiet. There are some sort of disagreement within the sector about how best to continue, about whether to have these uh, remote piloted drones uh, that are being sort of created by the private sector, uh, by um, a new character who is, or somewhere is her name, because I wish to get this right, uh, Li Wen Xiao. Uh, this uh, awesome lady uh, who shows up, who seems very cool and collected and dressed like a badass, all in white. <laughs> um, uh, but versus sort of the the PPDC's old technique about training pilots because uh, they don't know why the the alien threat. I say alien threat, the threat from another world happened the first time, and how can you know for sure that it's over if you don't know what happened? Yeah. Uh, we meet Jake, who dropped out of the Jaeger program um, for various reasons that we find out later in the movie. He sort of gets brought back into the fold, bringing with him uh, this... I'm really annoyed they described her as a hacker. She's a mechanic. She's an engineer. Mm. Um, Amara, they get sort of folded back in, just as this sort of stuff is kicking off with a decision being made about whether to go forward with this drone program. Then a rogue Jaeger shows up and trashes the place and yeah the plot just sort of goes from there the kaiju threat ain't gone we find out why the kaiju threat ain't gone (laughs) a big ass three kaiju show up get through and have some cool shit happen kind of then they have, well, all have a big fight in Tokyo. They have they have a big fight. Yep, they have a big fight in Tokyo that culminates with a big ass kaiju climbing Mount Fuji that's got to get taken out. Though I did, uh, I saw an interesting comment somebody made about how like the the slow plodding pace of this mega kaiju up the side of Mount Fuji felt very reminiscent of Kong climbing the Empire mm-hmm. State Building. So that was kind of cool because so often, and I feel this is a complaint. I feel definitely applies to this movie and I feel like they tried really hard in the first Pacific Rim to do is um, make the Jaegers look heavy and the the kaiju look Mm. heavy and have weight. And because so much of it was just like getting thrown around, just like you didn't feel like these things weighed anything. Mm. Um, But that's that's the sort of nitty gritty whining that (laughs) isn't unique to this franchise at all. 
Um, let's let, let yeah, we've, that's what the film is. Let's talk about sort of our initial impulses first about it as a as a film in its own right before we get into our issues with it as a sequel. But how do we feel about it as a movie? Well, from that plot description, there doesn't seem there's not really anything wrong in with the plot in terms of like this being a kaiju film. And like we said mm-hmm. about the first film, in terms of the plot, it's quite simple and straightforward. Mm-hmm. Um, I sort of enjoyed in some way the twists and turns and the um, uh, extra things it was adding plot-wise. And mm-hmm. um, on paper, it all sounds really cool. I think the reason why it felt lacking is all that stuff we talked in the first half about all that extra storytelling through design and cinematography and all that stuff um everything felt quite light and first drafty to me yeah i think what i'll say is a bar maybe a couple of characters who definitely got uh like i'm not i can't fault john boyega's screen presence like for all that jake Mm. didn't necessarily land as that much for me personally i definitely think he was more charismatic and more interesting than char- I, than characters I've seen in a lot of stuff. Like, any time he was on screen, I was like, I kind of know who you are, even if this is mm. muddy. The problem is, outside of Jake and Amara and arguably Newton Herman, um, I don't feel like... And Newton Herman and also uh, Michael, who is not in the movie nearly enough, and we will talk about what... Mm-hmm in a moment um we already knew them so the movie didn't have to do any work Mm -hmm. the only real i mean as i said uh jake and amara kind of you got a good impression of who they were uh again uh uh lee wen shao she felt her arc was really cool uh i liked her a lot so aside from that, and it's frustrating because they introduced like you've got this Nate Lambert character who sort of is a bit more of a by the book and he's trying to train these new pilots and you feel like, oh, okay, I kind of get what you're trying to go, but okay, no, there's no, okay. And I, I, I had to purposely pull up the IMDb page so I could remember what his character name was. Mm. But like I had, I, I don't, comparing, he's Jake's co-pilot throughout the yeah. most of the film. Yes. And that's meant to be like a really intense, meaningful relationship that defines their fighting style. Nothing. No. They're just two guys that know how to pilot a robot. <laughs> yeah. And we meet these wonderful cadets uh, who are there to, to they're training to pilot Jaegers. That's what they're there for. Mm-hmm. Most of them, I don't even know if they got named on screen. Yeah. Uh, or if they did, it was so quick and we never heard their names again. And a couple of them, um, Victoria, you get a bit of a, an idea of who she might be mm-hmm. um, as a person just because she has conflict. Yeah. Uh, you get like these maybe tiny little glimmers of who these people might be. But uh, by the time that we could, they come to get into a Jaeger, we don't have this attachment to them. And I wanted to feel attached to them. Yeah. I, I wanted to, but they were so... One, as we, we, we've mentioned a couple of times, the really strong visual storytelling of uh, the first movie, uh, the other Jaeger teams that we meet, um, the Kaidanovskis, the Russians who pilot Cherno Alpha, have like two lines mm. in the film, but their style is so like 
there's a reason why people love them. I know people with like Ch- a Chano Alpha tattoo. Um, one of the tarot cards you designed featured them, mm. right? Yeah, yeah. You had such a strong vibe of who they were as per- people, despite the fact that they never really. We didn't. We spent so little time with them. Um, the triplets who piloted the three armed like uh, Crimson Typhoon, which unfortunately still sounds like one of the best euphemisms for menstruation I've ever <laughs> heard. Oh my god. How have you missed that a bit in this phantom for five years? Um, but you got that even with, um, I will refer to her by her fandom given name of Lady Danger. Mm. Um, again, like this gunslinger, like lady, like she had her own vibe, the Beckett's, uh, who piloted her and then later Raleigh and Mako and, um, Striker Eureka. The Australian, mm. <laughs> I shouldn't do that. But the Hansons, uh, a father-son piloting team. You knew who these people were. Yeah, I feel I mean, so bad I, for these young actors because they clearly listened to the critique of the first movie. Just like you need to have a more diverse cast. It's still very white-looking, and these bunch of cadets, they're great. You've mm. got all these wonderful, and you barely know who they are. And that's the thing. I saw. I saw. I had a little discussion with someone on Twitter where they used the fact that the Russians didn't have much dialogue in the first one as a defense of the cadets in this one. But that kind of proves my point of you don't Mm -hmm. need dialogue. You need strong visuals and using your time. Like it's not just how they look when the Russians are introduced. It's like a low camera angle of them walking to empowering music. They Mm -hmm. have their helmets underneath them. They're walking in line. So, you know, these people mean business. They're here to do a job. They Mm -hmm. are slightly cold and intimidating, but they're, bleached hair and like highly styled look makes it shows them that there's like an extra layer to that it's not just complete uniformity it's about Mm -hmm. being the best you can and there's so much storytelling in a shot of them so that when spoilers for the first one when they die Mm. i'm really like affected by it and it's really sad Mm -hmm. whereas um one of the uh, some of the cadets in this one die and I kind of feel something, but like, even though those characters had dialogue and they did get named and we had mm. seen them having fun, I just, they all look quite, like, even though they're diverse, they like, yeah. they all look that quite similar. Like, they're, they're, it doesn't mean much when they aren't people. No, they, they all dress the same. They all, yeah. you only ever see them as a big group together. You don't see them individually. No. Um, Speaking of death, and I'm going to get into this now, right? Yeah. up. Pacific Rim Uprising is a fun, for the most part, decent movie. Like, it's been well made. It doesn't have the budget of the first movie, but there's some good action. There's some fun characters. There was, And it was clearly made from a place of love. Like, you cannot fault that. And if you do like robot kaiju films, um, yeah. go see it. And I, yeah. I think that's fair enough. We obviously come from it from a different like point of view yeah. uh but it's a good solid it's ki- a solid, solid kaiju, it's, kaiju film yeah now our first major complaint and this there are two things that there are lots of small nitpicks i've got about the movie there are two big issues i have the first and i feel is super unforgivable Mm. And I, I'm regardless of, oh yeah, the actress had a baby around the time and so her timing commitments, X, Y, Z, they fridged Mako Mori. Yeah. Mako Mori, the hero of the first film. I don't mind that she was 
brought back in more of an administrative role. Her thing, her relationship with Jake was great. And we were talking about this. We kind of feel, were we as the fans responsible for this? Because we were like, you can't not have Mako in it. Because mm. like, oh, you're bringing in a son of Pentecost. Okay, but Pentecost already has a kid. He has Mako. Mm. She's important. So they brought her back and she is killed as a passenger in a helicopter yeah. during a ta- an attack on Sydney. Maka Mori died in a helicopter <laughs> where she wasn't even the pilot. Mm. We mentioned after it that if you'd only seen this film, you'd have no clue that she was a Jaeger pilot. Mm-hmm. And um, an amazing engineer. Like... It's very confusing to me. Like, I like the kind of um, older sister always bailing Jake out vibe. Yes. But that's all she really is in this film. And, like, all she does is press buttons on a tablet. Yeah. And we hear that she's in this position of power. She's the Secretary General. She is the one who has this defi- has the decisive vote on whether or not to go ahead with this program. Mm. And then it ma- means nothing because of how she is killed off. She has time to send off most of a message. Um, But even that didn't lead to any kind of satisfying detail. Um, She's not even killed for like man pain because Jake has a moment of that was sad, but like it doesn't seem to inform his storyline in any way. No. Um, because one of my issues, I do like Jake. I really like the character, but mm-hmm. it's a bit wobbly on if he actually wants to be there or not. If it was yeah. very clear cut, I don't want to be here. And then that happens and he does want to be here. It's not good. I don't like people, women being, you know, fridge for man pain, but it, at least it's basic kind of storytelling. Mm-hmm. So, and this, it just feels like, oh, you're happy? We gave you a little cameo of your of your favourite character. And like... What was it? Um, I know it's... Um, as, I, as I said, after we watched the film, and this wasn't specifically due to Mako. Um, I can't remember Mako, Marco. Uh, I've listened to a podcast with a, another character with the same name. <laughs> but, um, and I'm, I'm quoting uh, The Matrix, uh, this particular uh, inflection, not like this, <laughs> not mm. like this. We wanted our Mako. But the thing is, I wasn't... When it happened, it's not like I was angry. I was just like... Well, I was angry. I, I wasn't emotional. Yeah. I When she came... When I knew she was coming back, I was like, oh, she'll probably die or something. You know? Yeah. The first film sets up a precedent that a lot of people die in this franchise. Um, mm-hmm. But she should have died at a Jaeger. She should have died, you know making a stand instead she gets hit from a distance as a passenger of something yeah and it's just so stupid yeah um and it, it what becomes deep what adds to that frustration is the nature that if Mako had been the one to have a relationship with Amara a young woman who is a gifted a so gifted engineer gifted enough to build her own mini Jaeger mm and pilot it by herself because she purposely made it small enough so she could. And side note, Scrapper is one of the best things in this movie. Yep. I want one <laughs> so much that Jaeger is the tits. Um, 
who also lost her family as a little girl to mm. a, in a kaiju attack. Yeah, like, there's, there's a scene where um, basically the same scene from the first one happens where our protagonist drifts with the less um, experienced experience woman who then has a bad flashback in the drift to her family being killed by a kaiju and our mm-hmm. hero in that flashback has to will them to the right side and mm-hmm. she has a freak out. That same scene happens again without any of it being mentioned. Me? Like, oh, yeah. they literally have a conversation about Mako. Then mm. a scene happens that happened to Mako and they don't end it with saying like, like Mako went through the same thing and she saved the world. Yeah. Like it's, it's like they forgot. And so it just feels like it's copying and it's very and I weird. I mean, like, okay, you want to, are you trying to draw a parallel? Because like, we see um, Amara doing um, a training simulation and it's fighting Onibaba. Yeah. Which is um, the the kaiju where, uh, the attack where uh, Mako's parents were killed. Mm. And we were all like, yes, Onibaba, yes. But like... So, she's a, she, she a big crab. So I know people have said that Mako should have been Jake's character, but I think the character that I feel... Mako should have been is is Lambert. Yeah. So there's this character introduced who is training the next recruits and is very serious and by the books and has a pre-existing relationship with Jake. And I'm like, was that what Mako was supposed to be? And then she couldn't make the filming commitments or something mm. like, and then she drifts with like, so Nate drifts with Jake for the whole film. And then at the last moment he has to drift with the new young pilot he's recruited. Mm hmm. Um, and like that feels to me like what Mako's arc should have been. Yes. And in my head, if that's the case, the film makes a lot more sense. Mm-hmm. You know, a person having to drift with his slightly uh, distant adopted sister, but it works. And they have this connection yeah. through their love of their father um, and his legacy. Mm-hmm. And their love for each other. Yeah. Strained as it might be. Um, but yeah. nope. <laughs> and it's so heartbreaking. Cause like you said, I feel like we did this, but mm. not like this, not like this, not like this. Um, the other big point of contention for us, and as I said, we might come back to talking about some of the smaller issues we've got, or we've, we, we said before we started, we want to try and not have another bumper <laughs> length episode. Yeah. Um, is what happened with Newt. Now, when there were the first rumblings of a sequel, one of the things that got floated was that Newt would turn evil because um, he drifted with a kaiju brain, not once, but twice, uh, once solo and once with Herman, tapped into that hive mind collective and it made sense that he would become like tainted by that presence and go evil. Wasn't that also, sorry, wasn't Mm -hmm. that also part of the first draft of the first one? Maybe. Guillermo de Toro said that Newt was meant to sort of be evil, but he found Charlie Day's performance too likable. Yeah, Um, perhaps, perhaps. But I definitely know it was something that was floating in the ether. Yeah. What we got, and to be fair, the reveal of it kind of worked Hmm. for me. 
and I'll I'll go into some of my more specific thoughts. And there's an instant earlier in the movie before we find out he's quote gone evil. What it really seems to be is that he's been possessed. Yeah. Like he has the presence of the precursors riding around in his head. And it's bad. Quite frankly. And not that it's a bad plot idea. I have some friends who are very nervous about the prospect of evil Newt because of partially because of how invested in the relationship between Newt and Herman they are and what the mm-hmm. implications of that were. The things I've seen with the, the issues with this, apart from the weird like mid-level shots of Newt cheering on the fight for who is he doing <laughs> this for? Yeah. And I saw this great point. Somebody said if it, there had been a moment like where that was going on and then like Newt's nose started bleeding and then you just heard the voice say, oh, you're still fighting in there. Mm. <laughs> Stupid. Like that would have immediately become more interesting. The problem I find with it is they should have gone one of two ways with Newt being possessed. After the reveal. One, let Charlie Doe go full ham and make it big. Make it over the top, cackling, whatever you want to do. But Newt is a big personality. Mm. He always was. He was screechy. That was part of the delight. He was like, get out of my way, you fascists. That's part <laughs> of who he was. He was big. He was loud. And there, I can I could circle back. I could talk about Newt and Herman till the cows come home. Mm-hmm. Um that would have been one way of doing it. I don't think I would have liked it, but they could have done it. The other thing, and I think this would have been much more interesting, and somebody, a good friend of mine pointed this out in a discussion, and I think this mm-hmm. would have been money, fantastic. They should have made it scary. Mm. Because Charlie Day has the acting chops for it. Like People write Charlie Day off as a comedian, comedic actor, and don't get me wrong, man's funny. <laughs> he can also be supremely dark. Yeah. They could have done something really interesting with making him scary. And he had these dark glasses on the whole most of the movie. They could have like hidden a fucked up eye. And this mm. is one thing we were talking about. Like, he's been infected by the precursors. He could there could have been some weird ass body horror shit going on. There could have been just one glowing blue eye. There could have been some I've It's just I'm good I'm good I'm good friends with an artist who has done so much beautiful kaiju new artwork. To me, it was half a story because yes, yes, there's no resolution to it. Um, I mean, spoiler, spoiler, spoiler. If a film ends with him still alive and still possessed, uh, and they either cut something or were like, oh, this was just set up for the sequel for the third one, and like, mm, don't. Don't don't write films assuming you're going to get sequels. It's just That's not bad. a way to make it satisfying. Um, but yeah, like they so before the reveal, they actually do some pretty solid work re-establishing uh, that Newt and Herman had this intense, very unique relationship. But Newt's been very distant, and mm-hmm. this has really hurt Herman. Yeah, um, and he Herman is very excited to see him. He's very like oh back at you know let's remember the good old days and all that stuff and um yeah the the dialogue is clumsily written quite frankly like clearly just oh yeah. this is what happened in the in the last movie between these two this stuff is important but the the, the performances of burn and of charlie and we could get sideways on charlie day and the stuff he's been saying on the press circuit much to the delight well this is of, the queer prospective podcast um I will, yeah i'll cap it off with that stuff yeah so well, keep yeah. going uh 
but so we have this interaction between them and it and it's like this oh hello hello my boys um and like we have this wonderful interaction between them and, and Newt to Herm and he's just like oh well uh you should come over for dinner meet Alex and and we'll catch up like and I saw somebody point out was that a cry for help from mm. Newt or yeah. was that the precursors trying to get someone else involved both interesting mm. both interesting um, but I, the thing is, the, sh- the film, and this is like, you know, when we talk about the first film, how every single character has an arc, like Tendo has an arc, uh, every, everyone has a storyline. It sets up, a, I was quite excited at that point when I'm like, oh my God, you know, even though I'm pretty certain Charlie, look, Charlie, <laughs> Newt's going to be possessed and he's going to go evil. It's so clear to me through what they're setting up that Herman and and I'm not trying to be shippy with this, but like his love for him mm-hmm. is going to be the thing that brings him back. Yeah. Um, but either that's in the next one or it's never going to happen because yeah. after he's possessed, Herman and Newt don't share another scene. No, we get the reveal that Newt is possessed. We get him attacking Herman. And here is, an, here is a moment for the shippers. And I know that a lot of people lost their shit. Um, Newt is sort of, Newt slash the precursors is strangling Herman Mm. and he is clearly resisting he is Newt is fighting this and Herman is trying to get through to him and you see Herman just like stroking the side of Newt's hand with his thumb Mm. just like trying to get and he does he um and then um Shao shows up with a gun and breaks it up and as Newt is running away Shao goes to shoot him because like Newt possessed at this point or has always been possessed, but he's, he's a danger. And Herman knocks the gun away. Mm. He spends a lot of the next few scenes saying, like, kind of, That's, yeah, it, he's possessed, it's not his fault kind of thing. Yeah. Um, and I, I, we know that uh, Newt would be so mortified and so yeah. guilty if this were yes. true. Um, and it's like, these are interesting ideas, and I didn't expect to be so interested in, like, Newt is the villain stuff. I mm. I think before I was really against it when people were suggesting that he likes kaiju, so he wants to bring them back. Yeah. Um, whereas... Whereas this, this notion of possession slash being a puppet... It makes... So, so there. It's so the precursor's style as well. Like, what yeah. we understand of them in the first movie, it makes sense. Um, it just has no resolution. No, like the end of the film, um, the, yeah, the film finishes, like it's even not quite a post credit scene, but like we have the logo and then a scene and it's like n- the precursors speaking through Newt, just like, oh yeah, we're going to come back, but 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 and Jake uh, is just there like, oh yeah, well, we're going to be ready for them. You tell them, we're going to take the fight to them. Just like, man, we also had a scene earlier where like Nate punched Newt out. In mm. full, when he was in full possession mode and again now if that had been Mako as mm. the co-pilot who was too injured to pilot coming back and getting him and just be like Newt I'm sorry because there's an established relationship mm. there God this film like with that tiny change of Mako being Nate mm-hmm. this film is fine like it's yeah. not as good but like so much of it is it just kind of solves it just get rid of the white dude yeah but um, speaking of white dudes i want to talk a little bit about newton herman uh because around in the first film um when in like extra materials on the dvd and, and notes like that burn gorman was like 
my character is heavily inspired by uh, Alan Turing <laughs> and he was the one discussing Newton Herman as an old married couple, like their, their dynamic. And he said that very much informed how he played the performance, uh, which is very cool. When the press tour came around for this, um, an inter- a, a, a journalist slash personality, media personality um, I know called Erika Ishii um, asked the boys... Uh, how do you feel about the shipping of your characters? And both Byrne and Charlie were just like, oh, no, we love it. It's And th- th- this was no no trace of mockery or anything. I like, just like, and Charlie did this wonderful thing. We talked about so many movies focus on the hero getting the, the hero, getting the girl and stuff like that. And then he talked about to have that kind of relationship between two male scientists is really cool and really interesting and we really like it. And he did this beautiful thing. Oh, and they have sex. <laughs> and Bird was just like, what? Do you mean neurally? Just mean, no, no, physically. It's just done in the script. Mm. And, but... And then they, he did a, and then, Yeah. He did, another, he, the, uh, he did another interview where he wasn't even asked about shipping. They just said, tell us about New. And part, he what's said, he been up to the past 10 years, yeah. And he said, oh, well, he's not quite himself because he's been away from the man that he's in love with uh, for 10 years. And um, He's been doing something that's been pecking away at him. He's and- doing something that's pecking away at him. And um, he then was asked about the the shipping stuff. And he said, he said that he wanted to thank fan fiction writers for helping to write the character to be more interesting to play and that it informs all of his acting choices. And having now seen the film, yeah, yeah, I buy it from, from both of them. Herman is clearly in love with Newt, and Newt that affection. The way he even like some of the, the way he even says Herman's name mm. at a couple of points. Um, now, this is something I, I mentioned it briefly to you and Andy when we were traipsing around London yesterday, uh, finding somewhere to sit so we could talk about the movie. Um, and I saw someone said, oh, oh, 10 years seems like a long time, yada, yada, yada. Um, and I want to preface this. Um, this might be triggering for people. I'm going to briefly talk about um, abusive relationships. Mm-hmm. Um, the nature, we find out that um, Newt has been like drifting with a kaiju brain. He calls Alice mm-hmm. that he has in his apartment in Shanghai. Is it Shanghai? Yeah, Shanghai. Um but that that coupled with the whole precursors living in his brain, possessing him thing, and what we see canonically of 10 years, he and Herman have been separate. As somebody that's been in, and I, I do project on Newt a lot, but that character means so much to me. Part of my coming to understand about being non-binary was helped by my love for this character. Um, but I've been in an emotionally abusive relationship I have been with somebody that, and I did not realise it at the time, made me withdraw from my friends, change, my personality was so radically shifted, and I didn't know what was happening until afterwards. I was out of that relationship, and then I could look back and go, oh shit, that was bad and I mean I'm grateful the relationship wasn't physically abusive but I know what it's like to to be with somebody or to be under the influence of somebody that changes who you are and pulls you away from the people that make you you and stop you being the you that you are and to see 
are such a radically changed Newt in comparison to such a radically changed Herman, who was so much more like Newt in the first movie. He was so open and engaged and had evolved as a person, probably partially because of that drift. It's discussed that drifting with somebody, you pick up traits of who they are. Mm. And to see that, it like it grabbed at my heart and squeezed something fierce. And I was like, oh no, I I I I I know what that is. Mm. And so to have Herman like, that's not new. I know this man. Saying without saying, I love this man. Mm. It's like I'm looking forward to reading all the fic about mm. it. And like, there's a, I, I don't want to like emotional labour of being there for somebody who's possessed. And I've already read a couple of really good fics starting to explore that, which is cool. But like, this is fiction and Blair, and I'm not making a whole lot of sense. But the Newt Herman relationship is very important to me as a person. It's part of why Pacific Rim means so much to me. It's one of my big pairings in this life. They are quite possibly my fictional dads, <laughs> if things are to be believed and so for all my heavy issues with the way they chose to portray this new possessed plot my that relationship is there it was one of the highlights of the film where anytime those two were together on screen the moment in the lift that was released where they had this great little moment of communication and it's just like I I this conversation has made me soften a little bit, but it's like this film is not without good decisions. I just think the execution is not as deep as we want from the franchise, and it's really hard to adjust to it. Yeah, Um, it does feel a little more. I don't mean this disparagingly. I work disparagingly. I work in kids TV. It does look feel more aimed at kids. Yeah. Um, everything's a bit less subtle or nuanced. Yeah. Um, but it 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 do, it does make me want a third one. Like it sets up ideas I really want to see done well. Yeah. I mean, but I if, worry that it wouldn't be exactly. Um, it's, um, I I saw this great tweet from um, a really cool fan artist I know from the community who just said, this is one person's fanfic mm-hmm. of what happened next. There's been some amazing writing. Like I could I could recommend a few. Um, I, I, I won't in case they don't want the kind of, that kind of attention, but I have read my fanfic sequels of what happened next and liked them so much more yeah. than what I saw here. <sighs> but... The thing is, like the thing, like the arc of of, of Shao, who went from this uptight, beautiful red herring where you thought she was going to be the bad guy, to the point where she's working with the PPDC and remote pilots, scrapper, mm-hmm. and without her, they wouldn't have been able to do what they did. That the thing is, that moment we have a an attempt at a speech from Jake Pentecost, and it feels different. It's not trying to be, but that message of you have to work together to do this thing mm-hmm. is still there. And at the end of the day, regardless of how Hamish and I and our friends and the Pacific Rim fandom feel about this movie, my love for the first film has not altered one iota. No. Th- this, I don't think Pacific Rim Uprising takes anything away from Pacific Rim. No. 
if anything, I hope it makes some people check out the first one. Um, Definitely. I, I, I can't decide if I want a sequel right now, but like, um, I'd see it if it came out. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not done with these characters or this franchise. Yeah. Um, and like, I, I will forever be grateful for the gifts of Pacific Rim. Like the gift of drift compatibility is a way to talk about a relationship. Mm-hmm. Like, and we haven't even got on to our issues with the law that they didn't bother diving into. And we like we could go on for another hour. We're not yeah. gonna. We're not gonna. But like drift compatibility and co-pilots as terminology for talking about relationships in this life mm-hmm. is a gift that Pacific Rim gave us. Yeah. And it makes me super happy. And if yeah, if the sequel does nothing else other than like makes people go, Oh, you know what? I really like that franchise. I like those robots. I like those monsters cool great watch pacific rim (laughs) it's a great movie um and i like seeing kaiju films being released (laughs) hell yeah um should we call it quits i feel like we should uh we should call it quits before i get on to another rant i think (laughs) um if you'd like to send in your questions for any episode doesn't need to be on our theme uh please send them to boxnoincluded at gmail.com or via our social media. We are Box Not Included on Twitter, Tumblr, and we also have a Box Not Included Facebook group. Mm-hmm. Um, specifically, our next episode, um, I'm booting Hamish out for the night, as mm-hmm. it were, and um, going to be having some guests in, and we're talking about sort of trans day visibility mm-hmm. and what it means to be a creator slash engager as, while being or trying to be visibly trans or and like sort of the pitfalls that come with that. So if you have any questions about that specifically, uh, get them to us sort of ASAP because we should be recording that Wednesday evening. Um, you can also contact us directly. I'm at Hamish Steele. And I'm at Jadox of Rose. And also um, we want to give a shout out to our producer, uh, Graham Waller, audio overlord and master of the sound waves. Um, yeah, that's it. So... Uh, Until next time, I'm Jade Rose. I'm Hamish Steele. Don't let anyone box you in, and uh, you can always find us in the drift.